check, check. Hello. Check, one, two, three. Hey, Maxwell, no, can uh, you hear me? Oh, no video, huh? Starting it out dark. Wow, so you, uh, are you wanting to take a look at my beautiful face? I'm just saying, I'll turn it on for the, you. Normal, the normal rhythm. Oh, there it is. It's a pretty consistent look you've got. <laughs> Consistently good. It's your fields of work outfit. Uh-huh. No need, no need to explain it this week, everybody. Imagine last week's beautiful description. That's uh-huh. that's it again. Your hat seems like it's on better though. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little colder today. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. All what's right. Going we, with you? What's going on with you? Nothing uh, much, man. I did not get uh, the early start that we normally do, mm-hmm. or we did last week. But um, I've been up at six just preparing, just preparing, yeah. and like taking notes and practicing. You did a couple practice records, mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. one sided or no one? You didn't talk to anyone. You just yeah, well, practice. I would just play both sides actually. Mm. Pretty great good conversation. So I don't really need to be here. Is what you're saying? I mean, I'm just saying you have some pretty big shoes to fill. Okay, well, it's good to know you can carry today's podcast, and if it, it doesn't go well, it's all you, basically. Yeah, actually, I don't, I don't want that sort of responsibility. <laughs> um, things are good. We uh, so we have a bit of a a, a newfound mouse problem in our. Uh, apartment hmm. um probably circa the fact that this house is from the 17th century and that mice should probably be the least of our concern right um revolutionary soldier ghosts should be your primary concern yeah and they don't really make a trap to catch those guys mm, not sure what that no. would be <laughs> but um anyways we we've been having mouse problems and so last night we set our first two mouse traps um one of them went off we heard it go off while we were laying in bed, we just left it. And we're like, I don't want to look at it yet. We'll see in the morning. And then this morning, we I put two in there, and I went to check, and I had caught two mice. Wow! I know it was a big night. Uh, 100% efficiency. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many. I'm about to find out how many mice we really have. I thought maybe two would be like the limit, but I'm gonna set them again tonight. And this could be a chance. This might be an ongoing like weekly mouse update. count. <laughs> yeah, we should mouse probably keep, keep a mouse count. I'm the tally on the wall. <laughs> yeah, but um. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, usually a big fan of the whole having to set a trap to, to kill a mouse, but I'm not about to try and live catch these things and, and put them back out in the farm or something and then just have them come back. Yeah. So I'm sending a message. And you know what? As a farmer, I don't really like mice anyway, so <laughs> this is twofold. I don't want them in my fields, and I don't want them in my house. What what problem do they have in the fields? Well, uh, mice will still eat crops and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to the extent of um, – usually it's like in the greenhouse, they'll eat the seedlings or – that's chipmunk do that a lot too, but they they're no good. Um, gotcha. I thought maybe they would eat the bugs or something. You, no, I don't think so. Well, they're, they're mostly after seed. They mostly eat. Like, I guess that nuts makes sense. And seed. So, um, that, and as a farmer, you're mostly working in seeds. So yes, yes, <laughs> yes, you are. If you boil it down to that, it's mostly it's mostly working with seeds. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think I ever shared either. My I have a long I have a long history of battling mice because. I, uh, the first farm I worked at, I lived in that, that camper that was on the property. Oh yeah. And, um, it was, you know, a very thin sheet of metal separating me from the outside world. Um, and the mice really enjoyed the, the camper as well. And that was, that was, I mean, you know, I lived alone at the time, so it wasn't as big of a deal. I would kind yeah, of, they were kind of, the, they were kind of your roommates. Yeah. I kind of just accepted the fact that I could hear them all the time and you just really <laughs> mentioned the little pitter patter like, running around and uh so i started setting like old-fashioned mouse traps the ones where like i don't know if you've ever actually set one of those the ones where you have the little metal um like rod holding the thing ever so delicately oh, yeah. so that, you know sure. it's a little dangerous to set them in general yeah. and i would set a bunch of those and he got so good at just like eating the peanut butter right off just like eating all, it would be clean and the thing never would have gone off wow and uh it got to the point where one night i was laying in bed and I had the trap near me, and I could hear not not like near me in bed, but like within arm's reach on the floor, because again, this camper uh-huh. wasn't big. And I uh, <laughs> like heard him just going back and forth, like just feeding off of it. And so I had a, a shoe under my bed, so I grabbed the shoe and was just listening and waiting. When I thought he was there, I just slammed the shoe down as hard as I could, trying to catch him in the trap. Um, obviously failed. Wait, and you tried to I- smash a mouse with a shoe? I tried to what I tried to do is basically set off the trap uh, because it wasn't going off on its own. Uh-huh. Um, and then one night it did finally go off at like 3 a.m. I heard it. I kind of like turned the light on. And I saw a little body at the trap and I was like, oh, good. It's done. It's fine. And then 
it must have not caught him very well because I woke up in the morning and it was the empty. <laughs> <laughs> he had he had escaped. And wow. I was furious. I don't know if he like got a foot caught in there, or if he had a tail or what. But so I ended up just giving up because I was like, this is never gonna work. And uh, so we lived, I want to say in harmony, but he was probably pissed. <laughs> I mean, I don't know upset. if you can really call it living in harmony if you're actively trying to kill him. I gave, I gave up and, and gave in and uh, let him, okay. let him, but we were just one at that point. We were roommates. Okay. But, um, I did also step on one of those traps one time when I said it, my, my what? No, Yeah. that had, yeah, I mean like it didn't get like caught on my toe, but like went off on my foot and that was incredibly painful. So mm. who knew that my this mouse, is a real, this is a real comedy kind of farce situation. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, last night was a win. Uh, I bought new mouse traps, caught two. All those, it's good. I have a dog. Apparently, can't catch mice in my apartment, which is a bummer. What do you think the chances are that your dog gets into a mouse trap? I'm putting them in cabinets with closed oh, doors. Okay. So, but no, I've thought about that because she would 100% end up with a, a mouse trap stuck to her tongue. Yeah. Because um, I'm putting her favorite thing on there, peanut butter. They're basically <laughs> poker traps. <laughs> they're, they're, as much of a mouse trap, they're also a poker trap. Yeah. But so that was my morning. All right, I guess. That's cool. <laughs> what about you? How would you do my, so my far? My morning? Oh, right? uh, you know, I had some coffee, a couple cups of coffee, some reading, ate some oatmeal. So now that it's – this is maybe diving too much into the topics. Now that it's no longer month of right, did you you don't trade out your morning time for reading, do you? Um, Are you still trying well, to weekends, write? weekends I kind of relax all routines and do whatever I want. So I've been reading all morning mostly. Okay. We didn't actually talk about that last week. I saw that was one of the things on your, your little list about the month of right was like trying to navigate weekends. Did you feel like you lost momentum over weekends when you uh, Yeah, sometimes I felt like if I was really taking it seriously that my weekend should be pretty much exactly the same as my weekdays in terms of getting up at the same time and writing. Um, but then also I can convince myself that by taking a couple of days off on the weekend, it like recharges me and makes me look forward to sitting down and writing on Monday. That's mostly the way I've been operating. Um, although I did get up yesterday and today at the same time as I do during the week. I just didn't spend that time writing. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can, um, we can, still, I guess we've kind of checked in, but we can still check in. All right. You got a question? Uh, I do. Oh, I was gonna. I, this top of the list was Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy this Mother's is, uh, Day, Mom. This is, this is our second gift to you. Uh, this episode of Fields of Work, Mouse <laughs> Talk, special, mostly. special episode. <laughs> yeah, special, special Mother's uh, Day edition. Mm-hmm. You'll notice all of our topics are really going to focus on <laughs> on mothers. Yes. Um, and our mother. Um. Uh-huh. Okay. So my check-in run question was, you're a yawny boy. Didn't you? You want to interrupt your video, or I'm gonna I'm gonna start yawning. I didn't realize my video was still on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, the check and run question I have, which we talked a little bit off, off air, but what is the best thing you have cooked? Well, I'll say recently we can, we can go within the, we can go within the month. I know you made hamburger helper yesterday. I'm not going to consider that <laughs> real, necessarily real gourmet stuff. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty good. Up. Hamburger helper is excellent. I mean, I have maybe chocolate chip banana bread. Okay. Was that a, did you find a recipe or did you just kind of go with it? can't just what do you mean just go with it you just can't like you just can't you know how to bake you're mr bread man you can't just like use your instincts on baking thought maybe you it's were like a uh, science experiment you bake a lot of bread maybe you you had the the whole you kind of like knew a base you know banana bread recipe i that mean it is with. i do use the same recipe every time so this was not the first time that i've made it but i did follow a recipe and then you made the bold move of putting chocolate chips in it yes <laughs> nice that's uh it's groundbreaking. You should start a cookbook. I should. <laughs> it's just, it says every recipe with chocolate chips. Yeah. Yeah, this is <laughs> these are cheesy chicken rolls. It's with chocolate, chocolate chips. chips. Mm-hmm. Emily um, would be into that. Is, is she a fan of all things chocolate chip? She loves chocolate chips. We have, yeah. Whenever I buy chocolate chips, we have to have like the, the, the stash just for eating and then the stash for cooking. You store some away in a hidden spot that Emily doesn't Basically, know about. I need to if I ever hope to make cookies. <laughs> Um, Haley made a, uh, chocolate chip cookie skillet last night. So basically just one big old cookie. Oh, and... like Mrs. Fields or like at the mall? Yeah, pretty much. That's awesome. That's exactly that. It's, uh, it's amazing. Um, so you can have like not... a slice of chocolate chip cookie? Yep. Like a, it was like a slice of pie basically, but a chocolate chip cookie. It goes real well when you're trying to mix it with ice cream. It sounds great. Yeah. Um, no dinners or anything? Just, just the dessert? 
they use your uh i mean we i i i cook dinner like every night but i don't think i've done anything particularly interesting i haven't been following any recipes or or anything we're we're a big fan of what we call the dope salad which is mm-hmm. a big bowl of, with romaine lettuce and then whatever vegetables we have on hand usually some roasted sweet potatoes some sort of protein like a chicken or steak or something sliced yep. up on top of it maybe salsa if you want to go kind of the santa fe route uh and or different dressing if you want to do something else so that's i don't know i make a lot of dope salads is dope salad a weekly occurrence dope, dope salad is like a daily occurrence <laughs> okay it's it, i would call this our, that's our default dinner like if we don't have any other plans it's like all right let's just make some dope salads yeah ours used to be uh like roasted sweet potatoes and like chicken or something and then maybe some like gr- some grain to put on that we made a lot of bowls Bulls are a common one for us, which is just basically where you layer everything into a... I mean, that's basically what a dope salad is. Yeah. dope salad can also in- include beans and rice and things like that. <laughs> really, everything can be a salad. There's your actual cookbook. Yeah. Every- everything everything is a salad. salad. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Well, that sounds pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to knock on that. Um, best thing... Well, we fired up the grill recently, so we've been grilling a lot more. Nice. Um, I'm no grill master, though. i got to be honest. When I am... Um, Taking, I'm trying to use a meat thermometer to get it right, but I think either my meat thermometer is faulty or I just don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm really struggling to get the the reading on the inside. So it's been a little bit of a fun game that we play where I take the steak off the grill and then we cut it open and see how I did. Um, so far, so so far, so good. Both times we still had pink in the middle, which is, is a good sign. Uh-huh. Um, but so we've been grilling a lot more. And then last weekend I made a... Uh, uh, homemade quiche made my own crust and everything and that was that was pretty phenomenal i mean not that like quiche is like the hardest thing in the world to make it's mostly egg milk and then whatever, whatever you decide to throw or, in it know. man i haven't made a quiche in a long time i used to be all about making the quiches i, I, gotta, quiche, I gotta do that pretty good i mean do you have a food processor or just a blender mm, just a blender i think oh, okay it was pretty i mean the the i didn't have any like store-bought crust so i made one which was literally just butter flour salt and one other thing that i'm forgetting right now an egg you kind of mix it all together and that was pretty much it uh, but you need to you need to blend it you need to food process it up um but yeah you can throw anything in the quiche man that's kind of it's, it's like it reminds me of when we make pizza it's like you can put anything on top of a pizza and you can mm-hmm. put anything in the quiche you can put it um, just like you can put anything in a dope salad and you can put anything in a dope salad a quiche might be a dope salad <laughs> according to my definition earlier that is true. So, like the the medium <laughs> of everything is the egg. Yeah, I guess. I so. guess, and yeah. the, the crust is your grain underneath. All uh-huh. right, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was probably the most exciting thing. I baked I baked bread again yesterday, but it was actually kind of a failure. So, wow, I've regressed in my sourdough baking skills somehow. But um, I think that's about it. All right, we're done. Feeling, feeling checked in. We're only we're only I'm ten s- minutes I'm in. I'm so checked in. I've been yawning. Consistently, I, I don't know. If Pretty low energy they today. Probably can't really hear it, but I'm glad they can't because it's it's distracting. Mm-hmm. How tired you are. Hmm. Hmm. All right, <laughs> if you say so. Um, what are we talking about today, Max? What are we talking about? Well, we'll do the usual. We're gonna we're gonna update on. I have some updates in the farm world, uh, and then we teased a topic last week that we might actually follow through on for the first time. All right. Um, we don't do that often, but let's do it today. We're ready. Um, but we'll start with farm updates. Farm um, updates. Down on the farm. All right. So what was – oh, not really much has happened other than this is pretty consistent across the entire country that the weather has been pretty trash, pretty terrible this entire spring. Um, I guess your spring's probably been okay down there. Up here it's been very cold and wet and uh, to the point where we've noticed just like you plant things in successions, right? Like you plant – Something this week, two weeks later, you plant the same thing. They're kind of all catching up to each other and are pretty much at the same level because the weather has has been so cold and rainy and just not really the best growing conditions. Um, And then this past weekend, and I guess today as we speak, it's been – it was 30, 33 or so was the low yesterday with Uh snow. And um, yesterday was, yeah, cold, windy, and snowy. Like The high never got above like 45. Um, and this is, you know, what that was May, May 9th, May 10th that we have weather this cold is, um, is it's acceptable when you're a home gardener. I think when you are 
farming at home or growing at home, people always kind of expect like later May to plant their stuff. Uh-huh. But that's not necessarily what you do as a farm because that's a lot of time wasted. Right. And there are, you know, things that we can do to, to keep things safe to grow. Um, you know, for example, we're in our outdoor spaces. Half of our fields are planted right now, I would say. About, yeah, probably 150 of 300 beds are planted. So there's a lot in the ground right now. And are you guys nervous about that? Um, there's, yeah, a little bit of underlying nervousness. For the most part, I mean, like, we don't have any of the super sensitive crops out in the fields, not under structures. What are the so most sensitive ones? Like tomatoes? Yeah. So if you had any type of summer fruit, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, summer squash, they all hate the cold. Um, cucumbers. Um, basil doesn't like the cold, um, things like that. But I mean, like then the other direction, like beets, carrots, lettuce, kale, collards, you know, things like that. The brassica family can all hypothetically handle some, you think of them as cold weather crops, but even a cold weather crop doesn't necessarily want to spend a lot of time in 32 degree weather or having snow or moisture fall on the leaves and then freeze. Um, essentially what happens when it gets really cold is, the cell walls freeze and then burst. And what happens is you see in those crops that just looks like um, dead, looks green and mushy, and just you can tell that there's been damage. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a spectrum. There's, you know, total death where something is just entirely done. There's totally fine. The other end in the middle, you can have varying levels of, of frost damage. We mentioned before that those summer squash that we had left out accidentally that had gotten cold and had suffered some pretty big damage. But actually... And it was too late to discover this. We did, we planted a couple to see, like, were they too far gone or, mm-hmm. you know, would they actually take? Um, and they went through a shock period where they didn't grow very much, but they eventually took. So Oh, so they weren't actually all dead? Yeah, and but we didn't – we considered them dead. We, we tried to – and that's actually on this list here. Um, you know, that was – all those transplants died. And then we thought, well, instead we'll just plant – the seeds in the ground, old old fashioned style. <laughs> old school. <laughs> old school farming is straight seeds in the ground. We're like, we'll just do that. Um, and then they germinated. And as we were talking about uh, varmints eating stuff, they came up. This was in the caterpillar tunnel, and chipmunks came through and ate every single one. So <laughs> we went from all of our seedlings freezing um, to us basically calling those dead, trading it in for a direct seeded uh, approach. And then having all those get eaten. So we have considered that first planting of summer squash a wash and are just moving on because it's it's two weeks late now, not even counting the time that it, how big it would have been if we transplanted it. So, so does this mean you're uh, not growing summer squash at all? No, it just means they do four or five successions of it here. This uh, okay. is a this is a really early one. This was in a tunnel. Um, you know, field planting summer squash doesn't usually happen probably till like June first. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Because um, of the cold sensitivity. But um yeah, they usually have really early summer squash at gaining ground, but that was not the, not going to be the case this year. Um, it's not the end of the world, but it's one of those things where this is a very dialed-in farm. Um, right. And things still, I mean, this is just the stuff that happens. But back to the cold weather, basically we spent all of Friday afternoon preparing for, for the weather. So we had kind of gone around, and we always talk about that remay or that fabric we put down to protect for insects but it's also for cold you don't want it ever touching the plants because like i was saying if that moisture and the cold touches the leaves um, it, it damages them so we kind of buttoned everything up we have tomatoes in our hoop house like in the soil but we double covered them with fabric um, and there's varying thicknesses that you can use so it's mm-hmm. they were very they were very tucked in and it was sunny yesterday so anything in the indoor growing space probably got up to 75 80 degrees still you guys should get um, some uh, big uh, electric blankets Oh yeah, I'm surprised I don't make that, like a like a thirty foot by a hundred foot blanket. <laughs> yeah, like electric electric tarps, basically. Okay. Yeah, it's I'll, a good uh, idea, right? Should I should we patent that and sell it? Electric tarps. You should definitely write that down. So remember, mm-hmm. um, it seems like that would be affordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but so we'll see. We show up on Monday. We'll we'll assess everything. We have already lost this last week. Part of our job was replanting some broccoli and other things that. Uh, that had had perished in earlier cold snaps. So we're hoping this was the final one that we can officially stop worrying about this because it's coming real soon. We're going to start putting um, more frost-sensitive stuff in the ground. And uh, this has been bizarre weather for spring in general. So, you know, you can't hold off on that stuff too long. So once you get through the risk of frost, what's the next major weather thing that you spend most of your time worrying about? Enough Probably. rain? 
yeah drought mostly um so i mean extreme heat can can be a thing but that's usually the then will cause the, the drought or lack of moisture um and it varies farm to farm you know there's farms that have no irrigation plan they don't have a well on the property they count strictly on rain mm-hmm. um that's it's it, it works for some people it is an approach that you can do if you are in an area where you get consistent enough rain um what does gating um, ground have they do they have uh one well they have a really nice setup for irrigation actually so they have one well tons of hydrants next to each field um and they water everything in the fields with uh overhead irrigation which just basically means sprinklers uh-huh. um so they they're set up pretty well for for drought um i mean it the hard part is you are in the summer, if you are in a drought you know, time frame and at a farm like this with so many fields, you are running irrigation almost nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been at farms where we had like terrible irrigation setups to where like you, certain crops you just decide like we're not watering these with anything because they're consistent. Like potatoes, you can be like they should be fine. You know, they're pretty hardy. Um, we'll just count on getting enough rain. Well, I did that one year when I was managing uh, groundswell and we ended up going into a two-month drought, and so we had to, you know, you're always out there jerry-rigging some weird watering system to try and get them watered in. Um, but this that shouldn't be an issue here at this farm. Um, so that's probably the main one. And then it, the same thing, like, you know, I don't think it's as big of a concern around here, but thunderstorms, whenever those move in with high winds right in front of them, right, can, can break and destroy um, plants. Um, less structures, but more like actual tomato plants out in the field and things like that can be destroyed by by thunderstorms but you know what i'm almost okay with that one because i just like a good thunderstorm (laughs) (laughs) right um but yes that was kind of the main process of the week we're all we're back to normal stuff um the you know like we said the tunnels were all fixed um back on schedule there we've like i was mentioning the tomatoes are in the ground so we've taken two of our permanent hoop houses and and pulled out the last of the salad greens that were in there. Um, we got two cuttings off them, which was pretty great. Um, that basically just means we got the, the initial harvest. And if you harvest at the proper height, um, that should regrow and get more. So we did that with all the greens that were in those first two hoops and, uh, have flipped them around to plant tomatoes, cucumbers are going in peppers, eggplant. Um, I think that's pretty much the main one. Wait, are those, I, are those the summer fruits you're referencing in the outline? Yes. Yep. Man, those aren't fruit. Those aren't fruit. Mm-hmm. They're not 100% fruit. fruit. They're, They're fruit. fruit. They're produced from a flower. Mm-hmm. All of those are summer fruits. Amen. I, think we, I feel like we've had this argument already. We but. have. And you're, and I'm going to consider you having lost that argument because they are indeed fruits. And as a farmer, that's how you associate all those. I could call them, you know, the sol. Well, they're not all solanaceae. could call them the solanaceae crops, but cucumbers are not in that family. I'm but just saying, you show up with a fruit salad full of those, and people are going to think you're crazy. Okay. Well, that's why we have a good argument about it, a good old-fashioned uh, debate about what, what constitutes a fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, yes, yeah, so those, those are the summer fruits. Um, we do, I mean, you know, at Jibbit, we do have actual fruits as well. <laughs> Strawberries. Oh, actual yeah. fruits. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what you what you lay people think of as fruits. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um and then uh, I guess you hipster. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine if you did that though? If you showed up to like, oh yeah, I'll bring a fruit salad and you just show up with a bunch of tomatoes <laughs> chopped up like eggplant. Yeah. You'd be real popular. Yep. <laughs> and then I just go, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last, uh, I guess pretty important bullet point on this list is I, my, my short contract at gaining ground is up and I will be heading back to gibbet. Um, not this coming week, but the week after May 18th will be my first day back on the old Jibbit Hill farm. So has, uh, has, has things, have things been happening at Jibbit or are you all going to be like behind now? They've been happening. So, um, it's a small crew no matter what there, but there's the, the manager and then the assistant manager and they were both still employed. Um, so the two of them have been running the farm. And I pretty much talk to them every day when I come home from work or I see them out there mm-hmm. and they've been keeping up. They've been getting stuff in the ground. Um, Kaylee essentially kept describing it as that's, it'd be like next week will be the week that it breaks. Like once things have to like start being harvested, cultivated, like once all of that happens, right. um, they, they would fall behind. But for now they've, they've stayed um, ahead of the curve in the sense that the, the, a lot of the farm is planted 
all the greenhouse work is done. You know, they have stuff seeded. Um, so I'll be ideally coming in at a, at a perfect time to, to make sure, um, you know, to help them get everything done. Cool. But, um, yeah, so it'll be nice to head back to, I think, you know, everyone keeps asking me like, Oh, are you excited to head back? And I definitely am to be, you know, back to the original crew that I've always worked with. Um, there were a lot of things in place that were, you know, partly decided by me in terms of that flower. Oh yeah. Is that still going to happen? It is still happening. So we sold out all the, the shares for it. Um, so it is nice to get back to the farm where I feel like I have a little bit more invested. Um, right. But at the same time, I mean, gaining ground, I was just in the time that we've talked while I've worked there, the amount of things I've learned, um, systems that they do just, and it was just nice to get back to a large, I put air quotes around it, larger farm, but three acres, but right you know, there's a lot going on when you're on a farm that size. Um, and there's definitely something appealing about like having fields and fields and fields of crops. Um, that's one of the things I liked about the 10, 15 acre farms I worked on back in Michigan was there's just a lot going on. You can just see how much food you're growing. Mm-hmm. Um, just plenty of projects. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean things are always great. You know, things fall to the wayside when you're a 15 acre farm, but, um, there's some, there's some give and take there, but you know, there's no livestock at gaining ground. There's livestock at gibbet, um, things like that. Um, speaking of which the baby, the baby lambs came this week. <gasps> so I get your I'm lamb so dinner. excited. Lamb yeah. update. <laughs> we'll be back to lamb update. Um, oh man, you're going to love this. So, you know, every year we always talk about how eventually one of them ends up a lot bigger, right? So there's 10, they all come up with 10. Yeah. One of them just outgrows the rest. He's just, there's always a little guy. I think we named one Shrek last year at our farm uh, <laughs> or something. But anyways, they, so they dropped these, these lambs off on Friday and um, I can't remember how old they're supposed to be. They're mostly like winter babies. They're mostly born probably like January. Um, so nine of them are very little. So cute. Like these cute little faces. They're all the same size. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could, you could almost pretty much pick one up and hold it. But one, <laughs> but like, I'm convinced the guy that sold them these lambs snuck in one like 13 year old lamb. <laughs> this thing is he's huge. He's the hands down the size of the lambs we took in to slaughter last year. Like he came in, I would say Holy two to three times as big as the rest. Um, they they said he was a November birth, but uh-huh. like man, I don't know. He's maybe like that Andre the bird. Giant. Yeah, I might call him Andre. He might be an Andre the Giant situation. Um, He's he stands next to the other ones and they can go under his legs almost. It's just so fat um, and so large. So we're a little a little confused to like really just see. Maybe he just kind of like maintains his size and the rest of them catch up to him. But um, right, it was I hope he continues to grow at that same rate and you end up with the largest sheep in the world. <laughs> we have a horse-sized sheep. Yeah. So uh, yeah. But so there are lambs back at the farm and uh, trying to think if there's any other major updates. Are you doing uh, pigs again? There will be pigs in June. Um, yeah. So, cool. so and it's, uh, it will be nice to me. I mean, we're not coming into a fully like, um, you know, farm that's been run down and hasn't been started at all this year. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on still. Right. Um, and it'll be fun to, to get back to working with that crew. It's going to be a smaller crew this year too. There's going to be, I think, four full-timers is all. Um because, like we've talked about, there's still plenty of unknowns in right. um, the restaurant world in general. So, but we'll talk about that more at the, the our big topic. But um, all right, yeah. So, well, so let's get into that. Back. Let's get let's get into that big topic. Right now, you got nothing. You got nothing updated. I don't mean, I don't know. My my work is, carries on in in the continued vagueness that I have to some have to you know talk about it. Uh, I mean, right. last week. Well, I guess the the thing about last week was uh, we did two half day workshops, and uh, which I guess doesn't sound that m- bad, <laughs> but when you're doing them fully on Zoom, uh, it, I don't know, it's just really exhausting to think through all the planning of making sure the workshops go well, that they're well organized, and all the tech is figured out so that you can keep the attention of. Well, the first group was like twenty ish. Oh wow, people. That's a lot of people. And the and the second group on Friday was like nine, eight or nine uh, people, and two totally different content areas, um, two different types of purposes for the workshop. But those were the two big things in my week uh, last week. Both went really well, but just really, really draining to do two of those in a in a week. Have you? 
found like a rhythm a little bit for doing things on Zoom and and remotely. I know you talked about the original, like the very early on, there was a lot of technical issues, but also just like it's weird to run things virtually um, in terms of flow of conversation and getting everyone involved. Has it gotten any better? Is it kind of just like what the norm is for um, doing things via Zoom? There's definitely some facilitation tricks that we have picked up and polished over the last few weeks to to make things on Zoom go better. And it, the, the part of it is that some of the work that we do with this client, we can't use Zoom and that we're actually doing things on Skype, uh, which mm-hmm. is terrible. Uh, so that is a real challenge. To do anything super long on Skype is is rough. When we can use Zoom, and luckily we were able to use Zoom for both of these workshops, things go better. It's just smoother. And also Zoom allows you to do breakout sessions where you can basically create small groups within the um the video conference and then bring everybody mm-hmm. back together into the full room afterwards so that gives you some flexibility with what you actually do with the facilitation instead of just staying as a big group the whole time which Skype gotcha. doesn't really let you do um mm-hmm. and there's just like there's simple things around like if you're facilitating a virtual session just being a lot more direct and clear about the flow of what we're doing, who is talking now and who should be getting ready to talk. So when we do things like a check-in round or just any sort of round, something as simple as saying like Max, then Joe, Joe, Mm -hmm. then Randy, Randy, then Mary. So like, as that person is saying, like they know the next person knows it's like, get ready to, to talk and just being much more directive where if you think about, if we're all sitting around a table, it's obvious that we'll just like go around and you can see who's next. You don't have yep. that, that spatial, uh, understanding when it's virtual. So the facilitator has to send a lot more signals to make things go, go smoother. Mm-hmm. I think we've just, you know, had to up our game a, a little bit on that. Does this, I mean, this is kind of jumping into our, our main topic too, but does this feel like what you think the norm will be for your working, um, you know, habit for the next six months, three months? Like, what do you think? Yeah. Is this kind of what you need to settle into and, and get used to? Probably. Or... Probably. And in, in some ways, it's not that different because this mm-hmm. organization is so large that a lot of the teams have people in lots of different areas. So we were already doing a lot of things through virtual uh, means. I think what what will be interesting to see is if the types of meetings that they used to travel for, if they will just try to do those remotely, or if there will be some types of meetings or offsites that actually start happening in a co-located way. If that's true, I don't think it'll be anytime soon. So for the most part, I think it's this is just just going to be um, be the norm. Yeah, is uh, everyone at the ready? I mean, like, um, obviously everyone's working this way. No one's going to their client. I assume, really. Yeah. No. Um, what is what's the consensus as a as a full size uh, is the full company? I mean, is everyone um, going along just fine with with having to do it this way? Are people struggling? Are I mean, it seems like you guys are all, you're a fairly um, technology savvy group in general because sure. um, you kind of have to be. And it's not like the first time you've ever run workshops yeah. and things like that. But is it kind of, are you hearing a lot from other people that this is um, difficult or bizarre yeah. or? I think there's a range. Um, there's, yeah. there's definitely a range. Um, I mean, we're all very skilled facilitators, so we can do what we do remotely or in person. I think there are some people who – I think actually all of us probably prefer, if we had a choice, to do things in person. There's just – you have a lot more flexibility as to the structure of experiences and the um, – I don't know, the types of things that you can do if you're all in a room together. Um and I think there's, you know, we, we hired uh, a, a woman kind of like just before all of this hap- went down and she has had less experience doing this virtual facilitation. And she actually, you know, moved to the D.C. area because we assumed that we would be doing a lot of stuff together in person and we haven't had a chance to do any of that yet. So she's she was she was anticipating being able to do a lot more stuff in person, which is more her wheelhouse. And she's had to learn and has been doing a great job, you know, getting up to speed about virtual facilitation because it is, while, you know, similar, um, definitely a little bit, a little bit different. You have to learn some new tips and tricks. 
Gotcha. Sounds like a new uh, a new deck you guys have to work on is facilitating a <laughs> virtual meeting. Yeah. Sure oh, is... we have. I mean, we we're we have lots of thoughts on on that. So. Um. One small question: Isn't mm-hmm. your guys's uh, what what time what month would your retreat have been in? So it would be your... coming up relatively soon because it June? happened. Our last one happened what in end February. Of February? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so March, April, yeah, in June. I, I we haven't really talked about it. I can I cannot imagine we're going to be doing that co-located. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear what you That'll guys. That'll be our first one in you know almost five years where. If we don't do it co-located, that'll be the first one that we've ever done like that. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be, I mean, it'll be interesting to hear, one, just what you guys do, but also I'm sure uh, those are always are state of the state of the company kind of things. And I'm sure yeah. you guys will have some interesting um, feedback for the, I mean, you guys are all working with, you know, large companies who are, you know, scattered throughout the U.S. Yeah. doing different things. It'll be interesting to hear about how every, every industry is, is handling this. Right. Well, and we're fortunate that we have our three main big projects right now are with three organizations that are relatively insulated from everything that is going on um, with the recession and everything. So mm-hmm. we're fortunate in that, but you know, can't we can't we we, we do need to uh, sell some some new projects at some point in the near future. Yeah, has that even? I mean, I know your project's pretty solidified, so you probably haven't thought about that very much. Have other people tried to during this period to reach out to anyone, or is it kind of like things? In the last couple of weeks, I've noticed an uptick. I would say in the last two weeks, I've noticed an uptick of people reaching out to us through our website, which is probably the most common way that we start convert start the sales conversation, uh, which Mm -hmm. is good because there was definitely a few weeks there where nobody was reaching out. So I think. I don't think we're worried yet. There are still plenty of things in our pipeline that, you know, we're having really good conversations and people are intending to hire us at, at some point in the near future. And they're just kind of waiting to, to feel things out. So I don't, yeah. we're not in any sort of dire, uh, dire circumstance. We have a lot of money in the bank. We have a lot of flexibility around our own compensation to extend our runway if we need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so overall, I think we're, pretty optimistic especially because and i've talked about this a little bit the work that we do is being proven to be even more valuable in a yeah. moment like this both for traversing the the current moment but also preparing for future things that may be like this yeah i was gonna say i mean i can see why people would reach out to you more because they are a lot of companies i feel like are gonna have to if they weren't ready to make the the, the leap yet before they are being forced into making some type of decision about it. And I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised a lot more people come <laughs> come looking yeah. to, to, to get at least some form of work done, whether that's just like who knows how many of them will hire you on for full six-month or large projects. But I bet I'm sure there's something in the works for doing even smaller things for companies that just want to like yep. make a, an easy transition. Not easy, but make the first steps to a transition to remote work or things like that. So Yeah, companies are just realizing that kind of the the old school command and control super hierarchical sort of approach just really falls apart when you have something like this where suddenly um you know on it turns on a dime and everybody is working from home and mm-hmm. there's just it's more than just the 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 nuts and bolts of how do you work from home it's the entire operating system that is uh, that exists around something like that. And you can't just take this old school mentality of, um, you know, if I can't see you, then I don't think you're working and mm-hmm. apply it to remote work. Like it's just not going to go well. So there's, I think there's a growing understanding that organizational resilience, organizational adaptivity is so important when things, when shocks like this happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, so many of these companies are people as joke are based on the idea of there's managers, managing managers, managing people. And like what what are what are managers who usually manage a, a group doing now when they can't actually like I mean, other than just checking in with them, you know, yeah, um, when they can. But, you know, it seems like a lot of people in those large companies are based in people management versus, you know, not you know, most of their time spent doing that versus doing other work. Yeah. And um, I'm sure yeah, it's, it's very starting to feel like starting to feel like maybe your job is a little, you know, 
if you're one of those people unnecessary when you realize no one's in the same office and yeah. um you're essentially sending probably email after email just just checking in just checking in <laughs> yeah and but. yeah i could go down a hole like there's the the managerial activity of checking in or getting status or things like that that's not super useful but there are things that leaders can be doing to um improve things to in, in terms of making the the operating system or the the ecosystem around people a healthier place to get work done making connections between disparate parts of the organization helping unblock people who are running against uh, roadblocks and trying to get their work done um things things like that we actually it's it's i don't know if we've ever really talked about this but we use the metaphor of the leader as gardener uh a lot because the idea is that your job is to cultivate the health of the soil, the the other kind of environmental things that exist within the organization, such that the plants, the people can can flourish, can do what they need to do, and they already know how to do. They don't need. It, we kind of contrast it with the idea of the leader or the manager as chess master, that they're mm-hmm. you know overlooking the board and making all these strategic decisions and telling each person where to go and treating people like pawns. Um, I can't believe we actually we haven't talked about that. That's a very obvious no. connection that you yeah. have. <laughs> I know. I think that would have come up maybe what episode one. Yeah, episode maybe. Two. Oh, all right. <laughs> I guess we're I guess we're finding new. Even though we've done almost thirty of these, uh, we're still finding new things. Any other farm metaphors you guys use? <laughs> Probably. Honestly, I'll, I'll I'll be a little bit more on the lookout. Okay. But what but what about you? Like, what is you know you have some thoughts about how the coronavirus may or is already maybe a good thing for farms or small farms yeah i mean so it's hard to tell right now because so the the base instinct for me to say is from everything i'm seeing via i follow tons of farms on instagram i get emails from farms and newsletters i read a lot just talk to other farmers it sounds like right now that the what's happening is um i mentioned this before there was a farm store here in in massachusetts that usually did about thirty thousand dollars of sales a month from their farm store um and one month did a hundred thousand. And so, you know, the first instinct is to say that like things are going well, um, for small farms, people are, are, they're selling out their CSAs, they're, um, doing online ordering and selling out of everything they have. Um, because there's still, I think that underlying panic, you know, um, right. Like people are still trying to, to lock down their food source. Um, and hoard and things like that. So there is like right now, most farms I know are are doing okay in terms of moving the stuff they have or moving future product. Um, it's hard to say whether or not that is going to be a sustained thing. Are people going right. to keep thinking this way eight months from now? You know, are they going to remember their small farm when you know big stores open again and they can walk around and not be so fearful of of having to you know get mm-hmm. sick or wearing a mask or not being or touching people and, and who knows how ingrained that stuff is in us um you know at the end of this will it just be the feeling in general that people don't like the large crowds for a while um which in retrospect would be would be pretty good for small farms um all of their avenues for selling for the most part minus you know restaurants and um are are venues where people feel a lot more comfortable um showing do you, up stuff so, do you think that can make up for the lack of restaurant sales or is this assuming that restaurants generally kind of open back up to their same level as before? I think it could replace a lot of it. Um, because of, I mean, just if there's more people just in general cooking at home and not, and not going to restaurants, um, and there seems to be an interest in trying to get the things that, you know, just get food in general doesn't necessarily have to be like organic produce, but, but local things. Um, I could see, you know, if you can up your CSA numbers, you can up your market sales. Those are the ways that, I mean, farms like to make money because it's you're getting the actual retail price for things. Um, mm-hmm. You're not selling it at a wholesale rate to a uh, restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there is an ease that comes with selling to a restaurant, but... Yeah, being the, able to do it kind of like in bulk. Yeah, but the, but the product that you, I mean, you don't necessarily, like as I learned here, I mean, minus the one main restaurant we, we would sell to at Gibbet that... Farm, restaurants, depending on the restaurant, the ones that are usually buying local food, don't go through that much food um, when they're buying from your farm. Hmm. Um, you know, they're not 
the things that they use a lot of a lot of the time they're not getting from a smaller farm you know we learned that they use 50 pounds of potatoes a night and you know 100 pounds of onions a week or something like we can't satisfy those numbers i mean there are right not every farm is an acre <laughs> you know there's definitely plenty of farms that are <laughs> yes. growing tons of onions that could do something like that but um for the most part the amount of product that the farms i know who are on a smaller scale are moving the the restaurant isn't always um taking the bulk of that now there are there are plenty of farms that are literally they grow for restaurants that's what they do mm-hmm. um and i i obviously uh, they are panicking in a sense but the food's still good the food you just is what it requires is, is a as a change as a as a farmer and as a you know a marketer and trying to figure out how to to actually get your stuff out there um but from what i i think they we don't need restaurants per se to flourish as long as people are starting to shift to buying um local produce so one thing that I'll say is like I know every CSA in this area is pretty much sold out, right? Um, which is great. Um, in general, most of the farm stores are being slammed. Um, they're being, you know, they're moving through so much more product than they normally do. Um, the small specialty stores that buy from farms are busy because they're the ones that can restock fast enough. Um, they're getting they have a shorter supply chain. It's easier for them to restock. It's people enjoy going there more usually because they're smaller. There's mm-hmm. less interaction with people so the that space around farms is is doing well um i will say that like i I would say that most farmers right now who are farming on a small scale are putting in way more time yeah who knew that was possible than they normally do um (laughs) like farms that are you know from ones that i've worked on the ones i've talked to they you know they had their their ways of selling before. Um, show up to a farmer's market and people buy what you have. But not being able to do that, or you know, some farmer's markets are still open, but having to shift online. They're all starting online stores. They're trying to become their own grocery store, which is just another one of those hats that you put onto them that's like, you're already doing all these things before, but you have to add in now. You're also your own outlet for sales. Um, and they're getting it done. It's incredible what I've seen farms I mean, just insane. Like what's some stuff? Like what are they? What are they doing? What have you seen? Let's see. So there's a lot more. Just um, websites. They're fully stocked websites where you can order through their website, pick it up either curbside. Uh, so they're like market. building their own like e-commerce. Yep, they're all. Yeah, that's the main one. Is is e-commerce through um, their personal website? Most of them had a website. They added in a shop function that they're trying to maintain to sell their stuff, whether right. that be pickup on farm. Um, People are adding CSA shares that didn't have CSA shares. They're increasing um, shares. The really interesting one is some people that are paired up with restaurants, which I think we're going to try and start doing here, is they will add on a grocery list option Mm. um, to Mm -hmm. when you order takeout or carryout. And so you could get your meal and then you could get, you know, whatever things that the farm has to offer at the time. I saw a version of that around here. I was on DoorDash and I think I was ordering some Chinese food and I saw that something you could add on was toilet paper. Yeah. That's, (laughs) that's what I've heard is that people are selling because the restaurant supply chain isn't as messed up in terms of, you know, as not as, as obviously not hit right now in terms of like, they're still moving 50 pound bags of flour and things like that. Like there is, the larger scale thing still moving that there is kind of a pantry side of things that is happening. Oh, actually there's um, a great example of this. You know, the, do you mm-hmm. know the, um, the sandwich shop pot bellies? Yep. They're selling their ingredients on their website. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've been seeing that, <laughs> which is hilarious and awesome. And I'm about to buy me some cookies <laughs> and it's, and it's, funny because it's such like a roundabout way to buy food, right? Like, right. like well, there's I'm an interesting, buying... I thought here, yeah. like, it's it's a I don't know what the right terminology is here, but like people aren't less hungry during a pandemic. Like the food has to go somewhere or else mm-hmm. people are gonna be hungry. So if the food is not going to be prepared in a restaurant and consumed on premises, yeah, then the food itself still exists. It just needs to get into people's hands differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. And that's kind of how you know, some some zero. Seeing. That's what I, I think. Some some zero sum zero sum. There it is. I was thinking Mortal Kombat. Sub <laughs> some zero. It would be Sub Zero's brother, and um, would be like this nerdy uh, accountant guy uh, who does a fatality with like a uh, calculator. 
Yeah. That's probably zero game, sum. Gamers out there. Zero sum is the concept that I was trying to talk around there. Yeah, and so that is. I mean, that's what we're seeing with the restaurant. We think about how much food we give to, um, you know, Gibbet here on farm, and the amount that they're going through right now. You know, it's it's nothing compared to what we can supply them. Obviously, when they're having a two hundred seat restaurant a night. Um, so what are you guys so doing it, differently? Any, are you doing like a farm store, or I know you already said your CSA is sold out. Do you have any other outlets? They. So there were some sales happening to, um, there was like a, a third party, a guy that would sell at this, this local farm stand who just sold greens. And so he would buy still about a wholesale price from us. He would do all the packaging and then he would sell it at a farm store. That was kind of one way we were moving microgreens and Is there any chance his name is red? <laughs> no. Damn. Okay. And, uh, actually I don't know what the guy's name is. I think he's a Dave. Uh, <laughs> every farmer I meet out here's name is Dave. Um, there's things like that and then – but right now it's not too big of a deal because there's not that much coming in just yet you know. in one right. month's time when we update. And well, one thing we did do here is they added a, a really short spring CSA, um, same number of shares, four weeks long starting this week until the first week of the summer CSA. Um, that's to fill that period where usually we have tons of um, like greens, radishes, turnips, bok choy, kohlrabi, like early – early spring greens and usually those were moved through the restaurant. Um, that's before you could ever get them into the summer CSA share because it's so it comes in too early. So they added this four week share sold out in two days. Um, so that, that was a kind of a thing that they, that was adjusted and, and added on. But the one thing I'll say is that like, it's also a lot of time and money to make all these changes. Um, obviously you have no choice, you know, like, you need to sell your food somewhere, your, your produce somewhere. So you need to adjust. Um, you can't count on your, your regular, your regular markets that you had, but it is definitely, I would assume stretching a lot of farms, thin budgets, thinner. Um, this is already kind of the time of year when you don't have a lot of money because right. things aren't being sold yet, unless you're doing a big CSA and you have that early flux of money in the beginning. Um, you're probably drawing on reserves right now to um, either get more labor to do something to change things around or you know for example if you're a farm that like gaining ground luckily they're um funded very well um as a nonprofit, but you know they used to have two thousand plus volunteers a season and to and a crew of like four or five to to kind of maintain that well you lost your two thousand volunteer um you know army there to work for you you have to hire more people and for them, it works out okay because of, you know, they have the money to do that and the grants. And there are definitely grants that are out there. But if you don't have somebody on staff that can write grants and get that money, if you um, are a farm that did have volunteers, whether that was a work CSA or things like that, and you need to bring on more of a crew to staff a farm store to make home deliveries. You know, some people are doing home deliveries for produce. Um, I just imagine that this is definitely a very difficult time for a mm -hmm. lot of, like, really small farms, a crew of four or five where, you know, your normal concerns of weather and getting things in the ground are now adding on to that. Anytime you're not working on the farm, you're working on your website, you're right. answering emails, you're extending your CSA, you're trying to figure out, you know, where you can move stuff through. Um, so it's been, I think, incredibly stressful for people. But the nice thing is once, you know, even if things go back to normal in a way, um, people have these farms will now have this infrastructure established and I think that's going to be, you know, better in the long run that they have an online store option yeah. that they have, um, established relationships with people through home delivery. They've established relationships with a restaurant doing sales of their, their produce as a grocery list. I think there's a lot of things that right now seem super overwhelming and are, you know, crushing them in terms of like the amount of effort they have to put in. But, all of those things should have a positive lasting effect. It's not a temporary fix per se. I think it's a forcing farms into um, a little bit of, you know, where we kind of hoped they would maybe go in the future, um, shortening back up that, that whole supply chain, the idea mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. your food comes straight from your farmer. And I think a lot more people are getting used to that now because they have no, no they have choices, but it is the safest choice or, yeah. um, for their families and things like that. So I think it's good. I think it's going to help. I think it'll be really interesting to see a year from now, how many of them maintain right. the things they've established currently. 
Um, I mean, there's plenty of dismal articles out there about like the restaurant industry and where they think that'll go. And sure. I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a interesting one by or interview with Dan Barber that was, I think through the New York times or something where he was kind of talking about restaurants and does he think they'll go back to the way they were before and what, you know, it's just a lot of unknown. And I think this is where farmers get the, the chance to realize that, you know, what they do is they've always felt, you know, I think we've always thought like what we're growing is important. You know, you always feel kind of essential. You're pulling food right. from the ground, but you, you know, we, there will be a need for us no matter what it'll yeah. just be, can you make it through this really rough six months? Um, and yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see if more small farms pop up, um, as more people decide they want to try and grow their own food or they see that farming is becoming a thing that, you know, people, those people are still working. Those people are still doing things or the, the, the non monetary side of it. But like ask anyone that's like Haley's been going up to volunteer at the farm here and people have been reaching out, like trying to come to the farm and all the crew admits that like, as soon as we started working, you just felt so much better because right. You weren't cooped up and thinking about like, yeah. everything going on. I mean, you have no yeah. choice but to read the news and think about like how crazy this all is when you're sitting at home and you have nowhere to go. Um, so I think that maybe we'll, people will be more attracted to farming, which if that's what it takes to get people into farming, like right. it's pretty intense. But it's I mean, I think it'll be a good thing. Right. And the one other thing I'll say, too, is that um, between being a large farm and, a, and like these small special operations i think that i'm sure this is true that small farms are just way more flexible and are able to make these changes that maybe a large farm wouldn't be able to do not even like right. speaking corn and soybean and things like that but like there are plenty of farms out there that grow hundreds of acres of vegetables too and when you you know they're relying partly on work that the uh, laborers that can't get here um which we're hearing a lot of like farms are struggling to get their usual labor that would come on, you know, their migrant worker from Mexico that would come work here for six months, things like that are, are on hold. But they also have so much money locked up in infrastructure and machinery. Um, they might have some of the money to, to start an online store and things like that. But I think just like any business, you'll find that these small businesses can really adapt and adjust really quickly. Yeah, exactly. It's true for, for all sorts of, of businesses. So I think... Resiliency-wise, hopefully, small vegetable farms like this can can kind of make it through. Um, well, hopefully, make it through. Yeah, but I just found I think, a CSA here that I think I'm gonna do. Yeah. I don't know why I haven't been doing one, but uh, looks and also to um, so for further support your hypothesis that all farmers are named Dave. At the bottom of the page, it looks like the the email for this farm is David at farmsname.com. Yep. Yep. So yet another uh, farmer, Dave. I know. I know. My, I feel like I've got the wrong name. Yeah. Um. Good. Well, I, 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 I kind of want to hear your experience with the CSA in a, in a different yeah. state. So you should you should do it. Um, so so that means I get to take uh, the cost for this out of our um, out of our company money here that we oh, for that, sure. that we're making with this podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, you can take all of it. Actually, oh, thanks. I'll let you have it all. Thanks. Yep. That now that CSA it, it is free. Uh, I'm just checking. That's a free CSA you're joining. I, I, I wish. Uh, looks like it's. Uh, how much is your is your CSA? Man, it's hard to. I can't remember in Massachusetts how much these ones are. They're they're expensive. They're like um, seven. How many weeks is that one? Twenty. Uh, hold on. Let me find the link here. It is from usually like start late, of June. To, yeah, from late June to Thanksgiving. Yep. And that is seven eight hundred. I don't know. I guess uh, the smaller size is 507 and the okay. larger size is 760. Yeah, that's pretty normal. I mean, the ones here go for about yeah, 7, 750 hmm. to, right. you know, that's a pretty hefty share. I mean, you get quite a bit in it. Um, back in that's Michigan. That's also spread, and that's, you know, that's spread across looks like 22 weeks. So yep. it's not, you know, when you look at it weekly, it's not that bad. No, it, it, the one I did in Michigan, now granted, prices were just different. Obviously, their produce was cheaper. Um, ours was a 22 week, like 575 or so, 600 for 22 weeks. It came out to like $28 a share. And when they're packing your share, they're using that as the the guideline for how much they're putting in. And if it's like most small farms, you're, um, that might start off at that amount, but during the summer they'll put more in. 
right. um, because they have more. The whole idea is that you're helping them, so they will give back when they have it. Um, but yeah, you should definitely do one. I think All right. I think more people should be looking into them. Um, for for farmers in general, they're probably the nicest outlet for for selling your stuff. Um, you just have total control, and usually you end up making a lot of customers for a long time um, through that avenue. So. Uh, do you have any other farm-related questions about all this? But I feel nope. Like... We just hit the hour mark. I think we're done. Oh, <laughs> the timer went off. Sam's yep. <laughs> Sam's done. Attention span's gone. <laughs> One hour in. Well, but... no. I think that's all. That's all really interesting, and uh, it'll be. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you my take on on my CSA as we uh, as we go along here. But I'm, I'll be curious to hear over the summer um, if you all, you know, find other ways to to get. To, to make this um, to make the sales that you're not making to the to the restaurant and just you know how you're all uh, adjusting along the way that's you know that's that's what I'm interested in just broadly for all sorts of businesses is how do you how do you react to what is happening around you in a way that makes you more effective yep and this is uh, definitely forcing people to do that to the nth degree so yeah. um, but no it is it is interesting and I think I think baseline, it's good. I think it's going to be doing good things for small farms. You just got to make it through. Yep. All right. Cool beans. Cool beans, man. Talk to you later. See you.